Welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, a podcast of the University of Arkansas. My name is Michelle Parks. I'm the Director of Communications for the Faye Jones School of Architecture and Design here at the University. Today I'm talking with Marlon Blackwell, Distinguished Professor and the E. Faye Jones Chair in Architecture, who has taught architecture on campus for 30 years and received numerous awards and honors, including the American Institute of Architects Gold Medal, the AIA's highest award. Blackwell runs his Fayetteville practice with Marietta T. Blackwell, his wife and business partner. Over 30 years, they've designed a range of projects, from residential and commercial to institutional and urban. The firm's design projects have garnered more than a dozen national AIA awards. Their Volwalker Hall Stephen L. Anderson Design Center project, the renovation and expansion of the Faye Jones School on the U of A campus, received both an AIA Honor Award and an American Architecture Award. Marlon Blackwell, welcome to Short Talks. Thank you. Great to be here, Michelle. For the sake of brevity and to give you more time to talk, I did not mention many other awards that you and your firm have received just over the past 10 years, but I did mention the AIA Gold Medal, your professional organization's highest honor. You were awarded the Gold Medal in 2020 and finally received it in person at the 2022 National Conference. Faye Jones, the late architect and U of A professor, also was a Gold Medal recipient. Describe what that honor means to you and its significance to the university. First of all, it's uh, it's, it's quite uh, humbling. Uh, you know, it's not something that you think about. Uh, and, then, and then you're nominated and then ultimately you're shortlisted and then it actually happens. And it's just, you know, it's been kind of hard to fathom. I, I think it's still, uh, still haven't processed it all, even over the last two years that I've been actually celebrating it. So it's really fantastic uh, to follow in the footsteps of Faye who was a, a, a good friend and mentor. I think for me, it confirms validity of what we've been trying to do here for the last 30 years, which is to demonstrate that architecture, the highest aspirations, can happen anywhere, at any scale, at any budget, and for anyone. That architecture is for everyone, not just for a few. What it means to me is that folks are looking at the middle Again, usually these uh, level of recognition happens from folks from the East Coast or the West Coast or maybe Chicago or something like that. In fact, there are only three gold medal winners from uh, the Midwest and the South uh, over the 100 plus years that uh, the AIA has been awarding a gold medal. So it's quite significant and it's quite an honor because the way I see it is it in some form helps uh, put a spotlight on all of us uh, working in the Midwest and South of the good work that's being done. And it allows me to be even more of an advocate for uh, all of uh, uh, my colleagues, uh, as well as other practitioners that are fighting the good fight every day. That we are together in the cause of architecture and, and an architecture of dignity and joy. And, and then that can be celebrated. And in fact, it brings the East Coast and West Coast together. As, and, and basically, the country is one around design. Oh, it doesn't just happen over there or over there. It happens here as well. And uh, I think that's what it means to me. So it's a win for everyone. Right. So one thing architecture does and can do well is reflect its region, the people, the environment, and the culture. You've practiced in Northwest Arkansas now for 30 years. How would you say the vernacular, the landscape, and the culture of this place has inspired your architecture? Well, it's certainly... Uh, a critical component of it. What we're trying to do is develop a really productive tension between the local and the regional and the more global and the universal. So 
Uh, it isn't just enough to know about the vernacular or the culture of a place, and I think it's very important, but you also have to know the language of your own discipline, uh, which is the language of architecture and how to employ that in, uh, I think, intelligent and uh, responsive, reflective ways in the place that you live. So you can make an architecture that is essentially in its place, of the place, and for the place but at times we'll feel slightly out of place and that's okay. Uh, so I can't say that every project we do is, uh, you can draw a direct line to something in the vernacular, in the culture. The sensibility I think of our work does come from being here for 30 years and being able to get below uh, the surface of things and really discover the underbelly uh, of, of a place, the things that really you know provides the sort of uh, visceral and uh, a charged dynamic of day-to-day -day life and what it's like to be in Northwest Arkansas or the Ozarks or the Delta uh, even. So I love the, the sort of pragmatism of the culture. I love the resourcefulness and frugality at some level, those traditions, uh, and the independence of that. I've told folks, if you want to understand uh, the Ozarks, read Emerson's uh, Self-Reliance. It's a, it's, a, it's a great read, 45-minute read that will help you understand the sort of resiliency uh, of the folks here. And so what, that is in many ways what we're asked to do is to make architecture that is resilient and is a commonsensical at one level, but not to be afraid to be bold and innovative. And uh, you know that's where we use abstraction. So we're looking at the familiar in our everyday here, uh, but we're also using abstraction to kind of connect it to a larger discourse on architecture that moves us beyond just the region. And we do that, again, through abstraction, through uh, a way of uh, being reductive and really getting to the essential core uh, of, of the work and the essential core values of the work. So I think it's, it's in there, it's like DNA, right? <laughs> you, know, you may not always see it, but you can certainly feel it. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's really, I think, important to us. So you mentioned how important it is for architecture to be um and design to be accessible for all, that design is for anyone, anywhere, on any budget. Tell me a little more about how that is infused in your approach to architecture. We uh, are not afraid to improvise. Uh, we find ways to work directly with the makers uh, in our region, the metal workers, the stonemasons, the uh, uh, woodworkers. So, so you know, we get involved with them very early. We try to learn from them. If we have an idea, we try to share that idea help them uh, help us figure out how to execute it uh, in the most uh, resourceful way and a way that can be done, right? So it has to be able to be done. It can't be so technologically complex that you, know, you have to import work to do it. We try to do what folks can do here. We tr think about just the fundamentals of architecture, scale, proportion. They don't cost anything, you know, but those are the things that, you know, we need to do and do well. The Greeks and the Romans understood that, that proportion of scale uh, have a way of making architecture graceful and harmonious uh, and feeling uh, right, you know, feeling like there's a good relationship between the human body and the space that the body is in. We like to joke around that we're the, the masters of the, the dumb box, but you know, we, we can do amazing things with just boxes. You know, and we learn from that from barns and from uh, chicken sheds and all kinds of whatever we can find around uh, you know, uh, even 
semi truck containers. You know, they're sources of inspiration. So we're very inclusive in the way we uh, approach our work, which I think in turn uh, helps f- people feel more included when we try to listen to their stories, not just to a laundry list of what they need. That's important. But I'm very interested in their stories. You know, why are they here? Why have people decided to stay or even to come, right? Uh, I think it's really important to understand their aspirations. Uh, They tend to be mostly optimistic and hopeful. Uh, We like to try to channel that into the work. And I think people feel that, that maybe that's where some of the joy comes from. But it also is uh, taking programs, like for example, the the free health clinic that uh, we did, that you know was really for an underserved community, and you walked into the space previously, and it felt that way too. It was uh, really uh, a kind of soulless, uh, uh, unhappy place. Uh, we redid this uh, small clinic for about sixty-five dollars a square foot, and created plenty of natural light, nice materials that we we were repurposed that were leftovers, uh, but we rearranged it in a proper way, and. It's interesting that people feel uh, important. They feel like they've been respected, even though they come from a variety of uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. And I, I think that has a real impact. So the idea is to raise our experience of the everyday, not just uh, when I go to a courthouse or when I go to church, but the everyday uh, as something that is deserving to be architecture. And I think that's where we we really infuse that. And then sometimes we have to operate off the cuff. And, you know, it's the kind of well-known story of the St. Nicholas uh, Orthodox Christian Church where they could not afford a dome that was they required in their sanctuary and our contractor couldn't, wasn't comfortable building one. So we had literally, you know, uh, uh, traded beer for uh, uh, a satellite dish that from a metal worker out in the, down near Chester and, uh, and converted that into a dome, you know. So, I mean, that kind of, resourcefulness and willingness to repurpose something to achieve uh, what was turned out to be the least expensive building ever in the country to win a National AI Honor Award. Uh, That's the kind of thinking uh, that we have adopted. And part of that comes from being here and seeing folks uh, who improvise, uh, you know, basically for a living sometimes. So, yeah, it's just part of who we've become. So you recently published your second monograph mm-hmm. called Radical Practice. Yeah. And in there, a host of practitioners wrote essays about your body of design work. Um, what does this book reveal about you and how you work as a designer? Yeah, the work is in this is highly curated. We didn't show everything we've ever done. We wanted uh, to curate primarily public work. There's no private houses in it. Uh, it's... Uh, all work that deals with the public realm and the institutions, uh, schools, healthcare, uh, recreation, like the Shelby Farms Park in Memphis, the Gentry Public Library, things of that nature. Uh, Blessings Golf Clubhouse uh, is another one. So we felt that uh, it was important to talk about roots. Uh, Radical uh, really is about roots. and. We try always try to get to the roots of things, to the origins of things, uh, to the essence, the, the essential aspects of things. So we wanted to demonstrate that in the work and really reveal our connection to place because that's the source 
of abstraction for us is, is our place and how we connect to it. Uh, and so having a variety of folks write about it in short essays, these aren't just architects, they're uh, clients uh, uh, like Clayton Marsh, the director of the Faden School that we've just completed. There are artists that we've worked with, landscape architects, uh, uh, the city planner of uh, Chicago, uh, the Maurice Cox. All of these folks have weighed in uh, who are uh, somewhat familiar with the work and gave their own perspective. We thought that was important. Uh, we thought it was also important to take the work of Tim Hursley, who I think is a, such a treasure uh, of uh, a photographer uh, from Little Rock who we've been working with for years. He's an architectural photographer, renowned in that field, but also uh, does his own essays, his own work. Uh, and he has been doing an incredible documentation of these elegiac uh, conditions in those the Ozarks and the Delta that are at once melancholy and somewhat uh, hopeful as well of small towns, crossroads communities, and uh, their architecture and places and how time and neglect and the sort of economic forces have had an effect, but at the same time, a kind of open question as uh, beautiful ruins that can become something else, you know, and they have a grace and beauty to them. And so we featured those in the book too because they're part of our place. We featured uh, quotes. If the images are more uh, about the local, the quotes are more universal. I think one thing it reveals is the importance of travel. I try to communicate that to students and uh, my colleagues as well, that travel really opens up your uh, capacity to be empathetic with the world and with other folks, with other cultures. Uh, and that mixing in those worlds uh, can really inform your own work. And so many of my travel photos were mixed in with uh, photos uh, of place that Timothy was doing. So that also kind of reveals the sources of inspiration. The idea is that through abstraction, we keep things open and in question as opposed to trying to, you know, be stylistic and close the loop. We're trying to keep that, that discourse, that, that uh, conversation that we're having with place, that we're having with the discipline of architecture somewhat open. And I, I think that's what the book is really about. And we decided, you know, we want to make it not look like a textbook. It's one of the good things that came out of the pandemic. You know, we had the whole team right here in Fayetteville, so we could get together even in spite of the pandemic and work through the design issues that go along with making and crafting a book. And I think that's what I'd like to say. We didn't just make a book, we crafted one. So as a professor, um, you teach students about the powerful role that architecture and design can have in people's lives and in their communities. Can you tell us how you've modeled that service aspect by the, the projects you've taken on professionally? If you say everything deserves to be architecture, you have to be very careful because right now, you know, we're getting to do embassies. You know, we're just doing one in uh, Africa, a consulate in South Africa. We're fixing to start uh, work in uh, South America. Uh, and those are very honorific and a great way to demonstrate uh, American values around transparency and democracy and uh, uh, that sort of thing. We're working on a, a, the new orthopedic sports medicine uh, you know, facility for the University of Arkansas Medical uh, Sciences uh, here in Springdale. I mean, just great 
programs. But at the same time, we are working with a series of pavilions, working with Civitas at the Jones Center, uh, a series of pavilions that uh, resonate with the Marshallese community and the uh, Latino community. We're working in Herman Park in Houston, literally doing a restroom pavilion, uh, along with some shade pavilions and a carousel. You know, little things that help, uh, you know, bring delight and joy. Uh, we're working in Clarksdale, Mississippi, right now on a, a yopon holly, a yopon tea processing plant. That you know, the this holly plant is the only caffeinated plant in America. Been used by indigenous communities for thousands of years, and uh, its market was killed in colonial times by the English. I might add, there were 300 years. It's now come back. They figured out how to uh, domesticate the plant in the South, and are making tea and skin products from it. So we're involved in using a workforce grant from Mississippi with very little money in a t-shirt factory, an old metal building, but we're doing a series of interventions of that to make this factory come alive and bring jobs to Clarksdale, Mississippi, uh, and help revitalize that community. We're working in Bismarck, uh, Arkansas, an unincorporated town of 2,500, has no public space, uh, has no, uh, uh, really, no uh, a grocery store, has no library, mm -hmm. any of those things, so we're working on a small library uh, there, so they have public space, they have a library, very small, 2,500 square feet. But these things are important to us because we know they make a huge difference in the community. We saw that happen with Gentry Public Library, the impact it's been able to make in that community. When we started with that, 300 library card holders, they were about 2,500 population at the time. When the project finished, they were up to about 2,300 library card holders, and they far exceeded now uh, that as they've grown. Those are important projects. That's what architecture can do. It may not be 100% transformative, but it strengthens institutions, and it does strengthen communities if it's done well. It isn't just enough to have a, a library and a metal building off on the edge of town. It's something that should strengthen uh, you know, the life of the city and the downtown. And so we're very interested in those sorts of projects. We're not going to let this go, even though we're you know, having opportunity to work at another scale and complexity. And we do uh, pro bono projects each year. The free health, working on the free health clinic was so important. We helped them uh, start a project. We also follow up with projects any way that we can help, like the St. Nicholas Church, or you know, we constantly finding ways to contribute either time or uh, you know, uh, uh, money, whatever we can do to help them as they grow. And I mean, the other aspect of what we're doing is you know, Ati and I uh, with the scholarship programs that we're starting at the university to give more opportunity, especially more economic opportunity, uh, to uh, folks that are underserved and uh, may not have the financial capacity, neither Ati and I had that opportunity when we were uh, growing up as well. We can relate to that. So like uh, the scholarship work for the, for the Delta, mm -hmm. uh, to give uh, students opportunities who you know, have the desire to go into architecture, design, uh, to come here and, and not have to worry so much about the, the financial burden that college can be. So, uh, and just worry about you know, being who you really want to be, and uh, and having economic opportunities uh, wherever you may, you decide to go. You might want to go to New York. You might want to stay here in Arkansas. You know, that's 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 the goal. Marlon Blackwell, thank you for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure just to share some of this with y'all. Appreciate it. Thank you. Short talks from the Hill is now available wherever you get your podcasts. For more information and additional podcasts, visit arkansasresearch.uark.edu, the home of research and economic development news at the University of Arkansas.
Music for Short Talks from the Hill was written and performed by local musician Ben Harris.